across the blue line. Leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grub. And Zadorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello, everybody out there in Avalanche land, and welcome into another edition of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app. Once again, I am here, your host, J.J. Jerez, with me, of course, Arif Dean. No Ryan Clark on this episode, unfortunately, but man, that was that was a fun episode to do, wasn't it? I, I hope all our listeners enjoyed that one. I truly did. If I said I've only listened to it three or four times in the last five days, I would be joking. It was great. It was awesome. It was great information. It just sounded good because we were in the studio. Ryan killed it. Uh, the soccer talk was awesome. The racism talk, fight, figuring out how he got to where he is. It was just a great episode. Basically, I'm trying to plug this to say if you have not listened to that episode, it is a timeless episode and you should probably go back and check it out. Yep, absolutely. And obviously we wish him well, but we got a lot of new things to talk about. The hockey rumblings were alive and well this week. It was a cold week in Colorado, but still hockey things to discuss. So we got Devon Taves on the list. We got a little bit of Eric Johnson. Of course, we're going to get to AHL and OHL announcements and get a little bit into uh, some jersey convo, among some other things here. So hope you guys enjoy the show. Let's get right to it here, Erf. Um, De- Devon Taves signs uh, his his offer. Four four point one four years. I think a little bit higher term, a little bit higher dollar amount than we were expecting. He avoids our arbitration by doing it, though. But I, I think Joe Sakic and the Avalanche really sent a message to Devon Taves with uh, the the both the dollar amount and the term. Yeah, and they basically said you are a part of our team and you are going to be here for the long haul. Uh, I'm of the belief that when you're signing a depth player, so a depth player to me is anybody on the Avalanche, for example, not named McKinnon, Rantanen, and Makar, and even Landeskog. On a team like, let's use Calgary, a depth player is anybody not named Giordano, Monaghan, or Goudreau. When you're signing a depth guy to a four-year deal, that to me is a long-term deal. When Calvert signed, he got three years. Uh, Belmar got two. Those guys all got that get that many years. But a four-year deal for somebody who's not your top guys is a long-term deal. And the Avalanche just locked up a 26-year-old to what I think is a long-term deal for four years in the prime of his career because it will be 30 by the end of this deal saying, come be a key part of our defense. Come win a Stanley Cup here. Yeah, it feels like things are finally being shored up on the defensive end, right? I mean, it felt like for years there there were... 16 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and if you look back to the most recent ones, I mean, there's so many names that have come in and out of this lineup. I mean, Barbario, Nemeth, Zadorov, Barry, Lindholm, Warsawski, Miranov, Siemens. That's a name Holy you haven't thought crap. about in a while. I, Duncan Siemens. I forgot about Murana, but Boris, was it? No, Andre. not Boris. Uh, Andre. Uh, Boris is the old Rangers guy. Andre Moranov. I forgot about that guy. Jeez. Yeah, and I mean, even you can go all the way back to Jared Bednar's first year, right? And let's go over the decor of that. I did a little bit of a research, of course, preparing for the podcast. Oh, boy. Tyson Berry, Francois Beauchemin, yes. Fedor Tutin, yes. Patrick Wierkosh, Eric Jelena, Anton Lindholm, and later Mark Barbario. Those are all guys that got 
defensive minutes, and, and it's just a, a night and day compared to what they have now. And you finally, for once, feel good about the future of the defensive and court. You, and you go back, yeah, and you go back to the Patrick Watt era, and you had the Nick Holdens who— uh, and, and Nate Gannon, Nick Holden, who I tweeted the other day, is 33 years old, and that kind of caught me off guard. But Nate Gannon and uh, Corey Saric and Andre Benoit, basically we're at a point now with the Avalanche where there are six names on this decor and not a single one is a passenger in any single way. And I say that now and I feel like in three months everybody's going to be talking about Ian Cole because he's too old or something like that. <laughs> well, let's get into that then because, you know— now that we've had a little bit of time to reflect on where Taves kind of slots in, I know we've discussed it on, on the podcast right after um, they acquired him, but now that I look at the lineup, where do you think he slots in? Because seeing a graves McCar, Gerard Taves, and Cole and Johnson, that doesn't really f- sit well with me in all, all honesty, and mainly because of that third pairing there with Cole and Johnson. So I think what's going to happen is Johnson is still going to be playing with Gerard at least for another year. Uh, Because we saw in the playoffs what this team looks like without an Eric Johnson in the lineup, and he's a lot more valuable. And I'm even going to be one that's going to say, you know what, I was ready to say Eric Johnson is no longer an an important piece. Rather, he's more of a depth guy that's just sort of, you know, a big locker room presence. But I learned real quickly after his injury that he still is the guy that he's always been. He's important for this D. He's the glue. He holds it together. Um so I still think that he and Gerard are going to be together, and those two guys just work great together. They lo- they they really do a good job playing playing on each other's, and they they read off of each other well. They have great chemistry. That brings me to who plays with Makar. Is it Ryan Graves or is it Devon Taves? Because Ryan Graves is someone that works. It's it's one of those things where if it works, if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's you know the Chris Kunitz playing with Sidney Crosby rather than Phil Kessel, even though Kessel is three times the player Kunitz is. Uh, Kunitz worked, so that's what you have with Ryan Graves when he's playing with Makar. But at the same time, Devon Taves is a better player. Who Devon Taves has been and what he has been for the Islanders over the last two years is a better player today than Ryan Graves is. What happens in a few years, who knows? But right now, Taves is a better player. So do you give him that shot? Do you say, let's try you out? Because the difference between Taves and Graves is when McCarr was hurt, Graves was was no longer a leader. He was a passenger. He was playing on pairs. He didn't have the best playoffs, even with or without McCarr. He didn't look the best. Taves is a guy that was leading that Islanders blue line. He was playing in that top four with Pelek, Pulak, and Letty. And he was a big piece of it. He led them in playoff scoring this year with 10 points. He led them in playoff scoring last year with five points. He's got 15 points in the playoffs, obviously 10 plus five in the, in the 30 games the Islanders have played over the last two years. He's developed exceptionally well under Barry Trotz, who he credited with his development yesterday when he spoke with us with the media. You have to give it a shot. I mean, to me, when you give Taves 4.1 million and you give Graves 3.16, you're saying Taves is a better player, which he is. And he was an RFA, so it wasn't you know a UFA versus an RFA contract because you can never compare those. To me, the Avalanche are looking to move forward with Taves playing alongside Makar, Gerard with Johnson, and that leaves Graves with Cole. And then Graves is going to be used heavily on the penalty kill. And then you know what? We're going to sit here and talk about this just like we did in July, in, in June and July about all these line combinations. And then one injury puts a damper on everything. So as soon as somebody goes down, well, now you have what you can consider five guys that you're comfortable with playing in your top six. Hell, Ian calls another one. Six guys you're comfortable playing with, not in your top six, in your top four. And the Avalanche haven't had that in years past. And it's the same thing with the forwards, which I'll get into, but... 
to me, Taves is going to start with Makar. And if he doesn't look good or there's just no fit there, because sometimes there just isn't a fit, that's when you put Graves back up there. That's when you start to shift everything. But to me, this signing says Taves, Makar is your top pair. I like that thought process, especially, you know, the why fix what's not broken with Graves in Makar. But I can almost, you, you'd hate to see it happen, but I can almost see it now that, you know, suddenly Graves stops playing on that top line and his game starts to suffer. And then he gets exposed for maybe not being as good as we thought when he was playing with Makar. Two years down the line, suddenly everybody's complaining about him being overpaid and, you know, You'd hate to see it, like I said, but I can almost envision this happening already, right? Ryan Graves suddenly gets dropped down in the lineup, and he gets uh, uh, just a little bit worse in everybody's eyes. Well, at $3.16 million for only three years, he signed a $9.5 million deal over the, la- over the next three seasons. If it gets to that point, he's, he's a serviceable 5'6 defenseman making 3.16, if it gets to that point. If it gets to that point, he's still a player with trade value. If it gets to that point, I don't think it's going to lead to the point where he's $3.16 million Greg Zanin level. There's another guy that used to be on this defense that was a total shit show for the year or two he was here. I don't think he's going to be that bad. Kind of like you pointed out, too, with Gerard and Johnson staying together, well, suddenly you, you have to put Taves with Makar because if not, you're, pu- you're risking putting him in third pairing minutes and you didn't just acquire this brand new $4 million defenseman to play him third pairing minutes. So unfortunately, it looks like, it, like you said, it's going to be Cole and Graves down in the third pairing. And again, if Graves is down on third pairing minutes, I think he slowly inches his way out of the team. Yeah, and that was the one thing. And, I mean, with with the guys coming up, I mean, it, it's not right. the worst thing in the world. That's I, another. I abs- yeah. We're, we're writing Ryan Graves off like he, he lost his job for something he did. He did nothing. He was just replaced. It's kind of like Donskoy no longer being a top six forward. Donskoy didn't do anything to no longer be a top six forward. The Avalanche just went out and acquired some guy that's won two Stanley Cups and is a great fit probably with Kadri. Um, but back to the defense, back to Ryan Graves. I mean, if – so this is the one thing that I disagreed with that that I disagree with that Ryan Clark said on our podcast last week, last Friday. He said, if the Avalanche lose a defenseman, he says if he said if Eric Johnson ends up waving, and he no longer needs to be protected, he said he would he said he he would predict that Taves is the one that goes. He he did say it with the caveat that Taves would sign a two year deal, um, but I don't buy it. I still don't buy it because I don't think. Joe Sackick would trade two second round draft picks for somebody who he doesn't think is going to stay long term. The cost for Ryan Graves, uh, the trade off for losing Ryan Graves is you're losing a guy who, who had a great year playing with Kel McCarr, not so much when he didn't play with Kel McCarr. Granted, it's hard to really judge him based off of the bubble. I don't want to do that. But at the same time, the trade off is if you lose Graves, it's not as huge a deal. You didn't pay a lot of money for him. You didn't pay a big price for him. You traded Chris Begra, who was a bust, for for Ryan Graves, who the Rangers thought was also a bust. Um, with Devon Taves, you traded two second-round draft picks. So the one thing that I had to disagree with, and especially more so now, and, great, and, and even Ryan Clark might give a different answer now considering this contract, but given the fact that Devon Taves, the Avalanche traded two second-round draft picks for him and gave him a four-year deal— I think Joe Sackick knows that Eric Johnson is going to wave because I don't think he would do that. Even, you know, yeah, you can say he's doing it to think about next year, but nothing Joe Sackick has done in any of his last three years has been a one-year thing. It's always looking towards the future. 
even when he added Brandon Saad, it wasn't a one-year move. This is why I said that Sakic is playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers. He didn't go out and do the whole, let's bring in Taylor Hall for one year and give him big money. As much as we wanted to sit there and be like, oh, you know what, go out and do the Paul Korea, Timu Solani thing and bring two big guys here for one year. He didn't do any of that. Everything he does has a potential to be a long-term deal. It was the same thing with Nachushkin. We thought he was going to let him go. He didn't. It's the same thing with Brandon Saad. Um, has one more year at $5 million, and I had this discussion with my roommate the other day. Who's to say Brandon Saad doesn't say this is a great team? Uh, salary cap is still going to be a total shit show next summer because of the financial situation and what's going on with COVID. Who's to say Brandon Saad doesn't take a Tyler Toffoli contract, a four times four and a half to stay with the Avalanche as a 28-year-old next summer? Brandon Saad is not going to go to free agency and get seven, eight million and price himself out of Denver. So who's to say he doesn't stay? So basically what I'm getting at is Joe Sackick never makes a move for one season and giving up two second round draft picks to bring in Devon Taves for one season is not the type of thing he would do in my opinion. So if you ask me, I think that Joe Sackick knows that Eric Johnson is willing to waive. And I think that Joe Sackick is going to protect McCarr, Gerard, and Taves. And he's going to leave Ryan Graves exposed. And on the forward unit, he's going to leave one of, if not two of, Donskoy, Kampfer, uh, Jost, and Nichushkin. Likely Jost and Donskoy, which means the Avalanche will lose probably a Donskoy or a Ryan Graves. Well, let's get into that a little bit deeper, because once the Devon Taves signing was announced yesterday, suddenly Twitter turned into this whole conversation, a lot of negativity, too, about Eric Johnson. So I want to start with that. I don't get First it. of all, <laughs> you know, on Twitter, I don't understand all the toxicity. Why, you know, bash this guy? Why not just have a, a you know, classy conversation, minding your manners. Everybody seems to get so nasty and act like they know but more than everybody else does when really the only person knows is Joe Sackick. So, first of all, can we all just get along on Twitter? I know, right? It would just, the world would be a better place. But, yeah, <laughs> secondly, let's look a little bit deeper into that EJ buyout, no-move clause situation. Um, you know, you really broke down your, your ideas there. Is there anything else you think kind of throws caveats into what can potentially happen with Eric Johnson moving forward? I can't see a situation where Joe Sackick didn't have a conversation, has not had a conversation with, Joe, with, with Eric Johnson about this yet. I can't see it. I can't see a situation where Eric Johnson is not willing to be a team player. It happened in the 2018 expansion or 2017 expansion draft when Ottawa had just come off of, go ahead, what are you trying to say? And you say that he's going to be a team player by moving his no-move clause because you don't anticipate Seattle to want a guy like that, right? So by being a team player, he's moving yeah. his no-move clause, leaving himself exposed, but not being taken. Because obviously... You don't want to be such a team player that you say, hey, I'm useless here. Get rid of me, right? Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, if, if, if there was an opportunity, if there was a chance that Seattle would take this guy, which there always is a chance. You can never say never. But if there was a chance that Seattle would take this guy, Eric Johnson has every right to say, I'm not doing it. But if you're the avalanche and you're potentially, let's go back to the example I just gave. You're leaving unprotected, excuse me, you're leaving unprotected Ryan Graves. Giannis Donskoy and Pavel Francouz. They're not taking a $6 million Eric Johnson. Right. All, all better options than a $6 million 33-year-old. Does, does Giannis Donskoy not seem... So think of the guys that Vegas took. Those guys that came out of nowhere and had a great year. Eric Haula, David Perron, James Meal. Those good middle six, second line forwards that exploded. Jonathan Marcheseau. 
does Donskoy not scream, I'm that player? Yeah, absolutely. I'm 100% on the, I think. So, yeah, so back to the Eric, yeah, back back to the Eric Johnson thing. So in 2017, Ottawa had just come off of a run where they were one Chris Kunitz double overtime goal in the Eastern Conference Final against the Pittsburgh Penguins away from making it to the Stanley Cup Final and playing the National Predators, which is mind-boggling to think because four months later, they traded for Matt Duchesne and their entire franchise just sort of dwindled and now they're bringing themselves back up. Always looking for an opportunity to mention Duchesne and that whole kerfuffle. Great times. So Ottawa was stuck in a situation where they had Mark Mathot playing on their top unit, uh, on their top defensive line, and he just became an exceptional player for them. He became a really, really valuable defenseman. And in order to protect Mark Mathot, they needed Dion Phaneuf to waive his no move. Phaneuf said no. They lost Mark Mathot at the expansion draft. They ended up trading Dion Phaneuf the following February at the trade deadline in a one-for-one deal with, for, for Miriam Gabryk out of L.A. Uh, so basically, in the end, it just caused a very weird, awkward situation. Granted, Dion Phaneuf, is, his personality isn't as you know team-friendly, I guess is the way to put it, as someone like Eric Johnson. He also didn't have the longevity in Ottawa that Johnson has had here. He's not the leader. He's not looked up to the way Johnson is in the Avalanche locker room. And that's not a shot at Fanouf, even though it kind of sounded like I just took a shot at him. It's just to say how valuable EJ is in the Avalanche locker room. He's a leader. Everybody loves him. I can't see a situation where Joe Sackick hasn't had that conversation with EJ. Hasn't had that conversation and said, I'm going to go out and acquire a defenseman. I have Kale McCarr, who I have to protect. I have Sam Gerrard, who I have to protect. And then I have these other two guys, and I need to protect this new one that I'm going to bring in and sign for a long-term deal. We're not trading you. We're not getting rid of you. Seattle is probably not taking you, not because they don't think you're valuable, but because there's three or four other options on this team that just make more sense for them, especially given Johnson's contract. And I, I can't see a situation where that's the case. And if it ends up being a last-minute thing, like in three, four, well, not three, four months, but in eight, nine months, Joe Sackick suddenly opens up that conversation with Eric Johnson. He's like, uh, no, and Sackick's like, but I thought, and I ended up trading these draft picks for Taves, and I signed him, and I thought I thought you were going to do it. All it does is create this weird, awkward situation that might lead to the same result as what happened with Fanouf in Ottawa. So, you know, a lot of people are screaming for Johnson and his $6 million to be bought out, Johnson's $6 million to be moved. Johnson? That's the thing. A lot of people are kind of counting him off as as washed up already. I Can mean, we just go back to the beginning of the podcast where I said, look what the hell happened to the Avalanche's blue line when Eric yeah, Johnson went out? Right. So this is why Joe Sackick addressed the blue line situation. Let's go back to where we were talking about a month ago. We kept talking about Grubauer and Francois. And we asked Sackick and he said, no, I'm comfortable with them. And we're like, I don't believe you. Well, he was. He said, what's the, what's the chances that both my goal? I mean, I know it's happened twice in three years, but what's the chances both my goalies are going to get injured? Is everybody forgetting what Grubauer and Francis did all regular season? Meanwhile, let's look at the blue line. On the blue line, Eric Johnson went down with an injury. They tried Zadorov. It didn't work. He's gone. See you later. They tried Ian Cole. It was clearly too much for him at this point in his career. Cole was a good four, uh, top four guy in Pittsburgh. Not so much anymore. That's just the way it's gone for him. They tried Ian Cole. It didn't work. He's still on the third pair. They brought up Connor Timmins, and he ended up being the best match for Gerard. Obviously, Connor Timmins goes and gets hurt too. So that just goes to show the season the Avalanche had, just the total crap show with injuries. Um, but that's why he said 
you guys all think the goalie situation is something. I think the goalie situation was a one-off. That's not something that usually happens. That's not something you can bet is going to happen again. But to him, the defense was something that needed to be addressed, and he addressed it. Eric Johnson is an important part of this team. I agree. Unfortunately, though, throughout the years, he has just kind of the way he plays. He gets injured. You know, he's commonly injured. So while, yes, I think there was an obvious drop off in his play there in the uh, playoffs, but it was sudden. And it was so sudden that you have to assume that it was injury related and that the new Eric Johnson, especially after another three month break, should hopefully be a lot more rested, a lot more healthy and isn't the washed up slow of foot defenseman that everybody seems or at least half of Twitter seems to think he is um, and it, no. it's funny I remember when he signed that deal too it was during an exhibition game and right everybody from the press box after the first period had to go downstairs and talk to Eric Johnson about this new newly signed deal and I remember it was, it was really funny to me because I, I remember it so vividly he says he, he talked about when he came in the league when he was 19 playing with Keith Kachuk right and how old he thought yeah. he was when he Keith Kachuk was 35 years old. He's like, man, this guy is so old. And then his quote that night when he signed his new deal was, I'm sure that when I'm that age, when I finish this contract here after we've won a few Stanley Cups, there's going to be some young 18-year-old looking at me saying, look at that old guy. It feels like people are three years early on that and already just dismissing him as, as too old. Do you wish Eric Johnson was making less than $4 million, $6 million? Absolutely. But at the same time, the Avalanche are not cash-strapped. When his contract expires, McKinnon will be up for a new deal. They're going to be okay with the salary structure of having a $6 million Eric Johnson. You want to know what kind of luxuries they're not going to have? A $2.875 million fourth-liner in Matt Calvert. A $1.8 million fourth-line centerman in Pierre-Edouard Belmar. Granted, a 3.9 million dollar third liner in Donskoy at 3.75 those are the decisions in, in comfort 3.75 those are the decisions they're going to have to make to offset and to make up for the fact that Gerard is now a five million dollar defenseman McCarr is going to make eight nine ten eleven who the hell knows McKinnon is going to make everything like those are the decisions they're going to make a six million dollar Eric Johnson for a few more seasons is not the biggest issue this team has he's not going to be an issue unless he gets to Brent Seabrook level defense He's not an issue, but not only is he not there, I thought he was getting closer to there. I thought he was starting to be just nothing more than a serviceable 5-6 guy, but the playoffs proved this guy still has it. He's important to this team. Yes, he gets injured, but he is a valuable part of this team. Devon Taves was not killing penalties in New York. He likely will in Denver. I could see him suddenly becoming a penalty killer, but Eric Johnson is a big penalty killer on this team. For now. Yes. Until he gets inevitably replaced, which the replacements are there ready to go. Let me yeah. throw some something the, at the wall just to see if it sticks on the off chance. Very, very off chance that this happens. And it's just more of my never-ending fantasy to bring Marc-Andre Fleury to Colorado. What if we package EJ and Tyson Jones to Vegas, bring back Marc-Andre Fleury? But what do you do with the goalie that, situation? Well, you, you carry three goalies. That I mean, I guess you send Francis too. Why not? Yeah, just don't rain on my parade. Just say you love it. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> I love it. I I do like what you're saying, and I li- I like where you're going with that. But I don't see the Avalanche making a move with Vegas. See, I'm looking at Eric Johnson's contract right now. He's got three more years. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt that he's going to be a valuable player next year. He's only got two more years after that. And this and is after going to be a half a year, basically. Yeah, he's going to be fine. This is going to be fine. He might be a bit of a hindrance in 2022-23. But at that point, 
I have a sudden feeling that if it gets to that point, it's going to get to that point of him being a hindrance and, and, and not a valuable asset because he's so overbearingly injured. And then you bury him on LTIR and you open up $6 million. He's not going to be an issue. I don't see Eric Johnson being an issue. He earned the contract. $6 million kind of seemed like a lot back then. He was a valuable player back then. But the way the NHL is going now, $6 million is not a lot of money. When you have a second-line centerman in Nazem Kadri making 4.5, while other teams' second-line centermen are players like Kevin Hayes making 7.2, it's okay to have an Eric Johnson at 6. It's not a bad deal. This isn't Tyler Myers making $8 million and in five years Vancouver's going, what the hell did we get ourselves into? This is Eric Johnson making $6 million for two more years after this upcoming season, after the expansion draft two more years. I don't see it being an issue, and he's still a valuable player. Uh... And he's 32. And while I joke about a hypothetical trade, I, I definitely think he's a guy that they want to keep around. You know, he's such a smart guy. Um, and, you know, we talked about, I think it was last episode, two episodes ago, about how Landeskog is eventually, y- he's definitely material to move into a front office. Well, I think EJ is too. And you can almost yeah. have a very Trevor Daly-like situation once he retires yeah. and have a very valuable hockey mind. Um, at your disposal. So if I'm Joe Sackick, I do everything I can to keep him around as long as possible. My trade was just, you know, just for fun because I love Marc-Andre Fleury. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, it's just the Marc-Andre Fleury thing. I'd love to have him here. I just don't see Vegas making a move with the Avalanche, not when they're the two teams in the West that are going to be fighting neck and neck all year round, all year long. Um, But I just, the Eric Johnson conversation does not make sense to me. I don't see a situation where he's not going to waive that no trade clause. If he ends up saying no and refusing or Joe Sackick doesn't even bother having that conversation. We'll have that. We'll, we'll talk about that if it gets to that. Um, and even then my, my, my opinion of him might not change. And I also can't see the avalanche in a situation where they have to give, give not Vegas, give Seattle something to take a certain player. I don't think it's going to get to that. Teams learn from the Vegas situation. The avalanche have a great team. They're going to protect everybody. And then they're going to sit there and say, here's, Maybe Nachushkin, here's maybe Jost, here's maybe Donskoy, here's maybe Francis, here's maybe uh, the guy we're talking about, Ryan Graves, here's maybe Devon Taves. Pick one and be on your way. After the Devon Taves signing, the Avalanche are now just a smidge under the salary cap. Are you surprised? You know I am. Are you surprised that they are getting that close to the salary cap, knowing this team's history, knowing the landscape of the league and everything that is still unforeseen? Um. I will say that I I expected them to add one big number. I didn't expect them to add two. So the five and the 4.1, the five being Brandon Sott, I still can't believe Chicago took a million off that. I, I, I don't know what the hell that team was doing with that trade, but the, the five million of Brandon Sott and the 4.1 million of Devon Taves, those are obviously the two big moves. That's $9.1 million against the cap. Obviously, you got rid of Zadorov. Uh, but I was expecting a situation where you get rid of a Zadorov and replace him with maybe a Timmins making less than a million dollars, nine twenty-five, um, and then spending six, seven million to go out and sign like a Taylor Hall for a one-year deal, or something of that nature. I wasn't expecting them to add nine point one million dollars in new cap, obviously replacing Zadorov's three point two. But the reality is, with with without the cap going up, I mean, Clark mentioned it last week. Brooks Orpik was still getting paid a million dollars this season for that buyout. And Tyson Berry was getting paid 2.75. You take that 375, you wrap it in a bow, and you give it to Sam Gerrard and say, that's going towards your new $5 million deal. Uh, the Avalanche are in a case are in a situation now where they have, and again, 
John Scoring making 3.9, Comfort making 3.7, Calvert making 2.8 on your bottom six, that's a one-year thing. That ain't going to last. The Avalanche's bottom six is going to get to a point where you have guys like Toronto does with Jason Spezza and Joe Thornton making 700K, or all the San Jose just signed Matt Nieto for 700K. You know, that's what the Avalanche are going to look like next year. They're going to be valuable players making a million or less. Uh, but in regards to this season, they are now at 20 roster players with $1.8 million. Forward number 13 will probably be Logan O'Connor. That's 725K. That leaves $1.1 million. Defenseman number seven will likely be Dennis Gilbert. That's 925K. That leaves $200,000 for a 22-man roster. I know 23 is the limit, but the Avalanche never carried 23 last year. They're going to carry an extra forward, an extra defenseman. It's going to be O'Connor. It's going to be Gilbert. And there's your team. Don't discount Martin Kaut, but um, I asked that salary cap question because I'm pleased with it. Because what we're seeing right now in the COVID space is look around at the other leagues that have completed championships, right? You got the NBA, the Lakers won. The NHL, the Lightning won. The MLB, the Dodgers won. European Champions League, Bayern Munich. These are all teams that are spending money, have been building Yep. The, the best team they can, and with, I guess, a lot of a lot less factors that are coming to play, the best teams that are spending the most money and the most active in acquiring players, those are the teams that are succeeding during COVID sports. So why not just follow that model, pump all the money you can into it, make your team great like the Avalanche have. They are a great team. There's no, no argument there, I think, from anybody. Um, and give yourself the best shot because with – Without all those X factors that are that could you know go into a team suddenly losing, it they seem to be not so not as existent during COVID times. Yeah, and I mean the most important thing is they're not just a team that's spending money; they're a team that's spending money the right way. This is kind of the conversation that you you, you have to have with all of the best teams in the NHL. Every team has probably one contract where they're saying, "I wish I could get rid of this one." The Avalanche don't have that. I'm going to go back to the guys I just mentioned. Ian Cole making $4.1 million comes off the books next summer, but he's a valuable player this year. Matt Calvert making 2.875 comes off the books next summer, but he's a valuable player this year. Don Scoy making 3.9, Comfort making 3.75. They are both good players, valuable players with a lot of trade value. One of them can possibly get taken in the expansion draft, but if the Avalanche need to dump one of them, it's simply because... They don't have the luxury of having a third liner making almost $4 million anymore. And then you're in a situation like Tampa Bay with JT Miller, JT Miller last season, and they got a first-round draft pick for a $5 million player, and they went around and flipped that first-round draft pick for Blake Coleman and ended up with a $1.8 million player who's under contract for one more year who helped them win the Cup. That's the situation. You put yourself in a situation where you have to unload players, but you're unloading good players to restock the cabinet, to draft and develop $900,000 entry-level deal guys. Your Alex Newhooks, your Martin Kautz, your Dennis Gilberts, your Connor Timmons. So if you get in the habit of developing good players and acquiring good players and signing good players, I can't remember the last time the Avalanche made a bad unrestricted free agent signing. Ian Cole and Calvert were good. Nichushkin was good. Clearly, they re-signed him. They like him. Uh you know, it's mm -hmm. been a while. Maybe Carl Soderberg, five years. Either. Yeah, it's it's been a while. It's There is no Jay Beagles or Louis Erickson's and, you know, or uh, Anton Roussel. I'm not even listing Vancouver ones. I'm just listing bad ones, but they got three of them right there. There's none of those on the avalanche. 
Uh, there's no Nikita Zaitsev making four and a half million for seven years that Toronto had to unload. There's nothing like that. No Brent Seabrooks. They've done a good job. And if you're going to be putting yourself in that kind of a situation where you have to make it, it's a good it's a good place to be. It's a good situation to be in where where you have to unload one of your many riches and still get valuable assets back for those riches. It's what Tampa Bay had to do last year. This year's a little bit different, obviously. They're going to have to do some maneuvering to get under the cap, but it's what they had to do with JT Miller. It's what they're likely going to have to do in the future. If you're a good team and you have valuable players, it's not a bad situation to be in. If the Avalanche have to get rid of Ryan Graves because he's a $3 million third-line, uh, third-pairing defenseman, another team will be happy to take him off your hands. I just feel right now more than ever, you got to spend money to make money, right? Exactly. That's why... Yeah. And that's why you also got to spend some money on DraftKings, don't you? You sure do. If you want to make any money. Like I said, the Dodgers just wrapped up, won the World Series. Did you have any money on that? Did you take the over-under on how many players would get COVID in the middle of the game? <laughs> the the over-under on uh, in the in the middle of the game or after the game during the, 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 the big-time spread <laughs> oh, of yeah. a party they had? All of them got it now. Yeah, let's do it right before the ad read here. What the hell is the MLB doing is what I'm asking. Look at the NHL. They wouldn't let anybody even in the bubble without a test. Why are they waiting for test results to come back in the middle of the game? Shouldn't those test results be completed before the game even starts so you know you're not putting anybody at risk? I mean, that's pretty idiotic. That's another thing. But to them, it's you know the World Series, and they don't want to change anything around. But you know what? It's, it's a different time right now. But my whole thing is... All I've ever heard, and you know, people might complain about this. People complained about this with the Tampa Bay Lightning. All we've ever heard is, let them be. Nobody's sick. Everybody's fine. If they get it, if they get it, they will be fine. But just let them be. Let them celebrate together. Well, this is not a let them be if they get it. This is some guy has the damn virus and went back and caused this big... Who's to say that we're not going to get all of these confirmed, confirmed positive results from that? Because this isn't, you know, if, if you and I want to show up and record a podcast together and high five and what's up, man, and give you a chest bump and whatever and play tennis and then, you know, slap five and share a water bottle, do all these things that you're not supposed to do right now and touch our faces and hang out and pretend life is normal. If you and I do that, we're doing that as two guys. And I have my opinions of this anyway. You know, my opinion is the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, celebration was overboard, but I'm going to keep that opinion to myself because 
that's not something that many people wanted to listen to and want to hear about. But the guy tested positive. He knew he was positive and he still partook in the celebration. And I don't don't give me any bullshit and I will never ever accept that Justin Turner just achieved his dream and won the World Series and he wants to be on there. I don't give two flying fucks if Justin Turner just achieved his dream of winning the World Series. Everybody's had to make a sacrifice in some way or some sort. You can probably list off 25 things you've sacrificed. I can list off 25 things I've sacrificed. Everybody on Twitter can list off 25 things they've sacrificed. I don't care if you just did that. I don't care if you just won the World Series. It's 2020. You know things are different. We just talked about the Tampa Bay Lightning winning the winning the Stanley Cup and not having their families on the ice. And John Cooper talking about how the best moment was when they got off the bus and people went back and hugged their families that they hadn't seen in 100 and something days. Everybody made sacrifices. And to go out and tweet after the game, I felt fine. Everything was great. I'm just happy to celebrate with my teammates. How do you still not know how asymptomatic works? It is October. <laughs> this started in March. The MLB statement came out and said, Oh, uh, they ripped know, we, him. Yeah, they ripped him. But here's the thing Justin Turner made a terrible decision, and the MLB didn't stop him. If you're in the Pepsi Center and there's some jerk off in the rows uh, you know, behind you, causing a stir and trying to start a fight and throwing beer at someone and cussing and you know screaming and trying to basically cause c- cause some sort of commotion he's making the wrong decision but if the Pepsi Center security which they do an excellent job the shit, the ball arena security they've they've always done an excellent job but if the ball arena's security ignores him now the ball arena and their security team is also at fault so Turner made a wrong decision the MLB said, we tried to tell him and he said, they put their hands up like we tried to tell him and he just went on. What do you mean he just went on the field? Grab security, circle the dude. And if you have to use force to get him away, get him away. I know you don't want to touch him. The guy's got friggin' COVID. But how do you, you know, and I agree. I, I, I love that they ripped him. I hope that he gets some sort of a fine or suspension or something for this, but that's my opinion on the matter. All I've heard is everybody saying, if they don't have it, let them live. The guy had it. He should not have done that. There's nobody that can back that up. I feel like it's almost uh, hockey mentality gone wrong, right? He was just trying to get yep. back out there, be with his team. Like I could see him walk into a room with a bunch of hockey players and be like, guys, you see, I toughed it out. I got out there and celebrated. All the hockey players just are be just like, looking no, at him like, yeah, no, 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 you no, did no, that no. wrong. You got that one wrong. But yeah, what a zoo. What a zoo it is, and that's why it's all the more important for the NHL to really get it right with their next can, restart. Can I can I mention one more thing? Yeah, I got to do this ad uh, read, though, so hurry up. Yeah, for sure, for sure, right before you do the ad read. And I did this <laughs> last week, too. Every time you want to give the, to do the ad read last week, I kept going and going and going, too. If you're the MLB and you're uh, Rob Manfred, uh, the commissioner, and you now want to talk to all the different cities and all the – both countries because the Blue Jays still exist and they had to play in Buffalo this past season. You want to talk to all these different municipalities and all these different counties and, and states and governors and everything is run different here in this country with COVID. And you have to explain to them that we got things under control and they say, uh, we saw what happened in the World Series. Why in the hell would anybody trust you to have another season? There is probably... A number, I'm not even going to try to predict how many because some people just don't care. There is a number of senators or governors or states, municipalities right now looking and saying, man, 
why did we let the MLB do what they did and travel freely and be and, and do what they did and come to our city and possibly bring the COVID? They promised us they were going to have it under control. And what they just did in the World Series says they didn't have it under control. But if the NHL or the NBA tries to talk to these same cities and municipalities, I'll say, you know what? We trust you. You actually made sacrifices. You didn't let players bring their families in. You had to go against your word because you just couldn't find a way to make it work. That to me is trust. What the MLB did is not trust. So good luck being the MLB and trying to explain to the 32 cities of where your teams reside, uh, trying to explain to them that we'll be fine for the 21-22 season. Yeah, we'll get into uh, what that's going to look like coming up next. But yeah, with the zoo that's going on in the NFL too, the MLB, and hey, we got college football starting right around the corner, so that should be a, a nice super spreader event as well. Just everybody going wrong. But like I said, the season is in full swing. And the action is unfolding. So head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. With so many storylines across both professional and collegiate sports, this is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this offer. To celebrate the showdown in Happy Valley, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to Turn $1 into $100 when placing a bet on either Ohio State or Penn State. I'm glad they clarified there because I had no idea what the showdown in Happy Valley was. Additionally, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to receive a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. So they'll match you what you put in up to $1,000. On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings offers great odds boost every Sunday to help you make it rain. They always use the wrong rain word, too. I'm confused about this ad read. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Pick either Penn State or Ohio State, bet $1 on them, and cash $100 if they win. That's $100 to win. Oh, wait. No, that's $1 to win 100 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Man, I, I haven't been that confused on an ad read since the UFC one that we had several months ago. <laughs> yeah, I remember you trying to, I forget whose name it was that you tried to pronounce <laughs> and you completely botched it. Good times. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, so moving on, let's get into the AHL and OHL announcing their starts today. That was pretty uh, cool, both in February. Um, so yep. I guess that leads to the question, do you expect the NHL to kind of follow suit? And obviously their announcement's probably right around the corner. Do you see it being a, a February start as well, or do you think they still adhere to the January 1st that they were hoping for? Well, let's also take into account that the NBA is attempting to restart their season December 22nd. Uh, LeBron James publicly stated he would like their season to start January 18. Uh, I don't know why LeBron has a say in it. Who the <laughs> hell knows? Uh, let's not get into that. But anyway, watch the, it start January 18. Now. I know <laughs> the way the way the NBA goes. I wouldn't. And by the way, I'm not bashing LeBron. I love him, but it's just funny that I knew that piece of information. Like 
no one is over here talking about hey, yeah Connor mcdavid says we're gonna start the season on february <laughs> 2nd so that's gonna be the because he likes groundhog day and we're just gonna start on february like that's not a thing in the nhl um that's one of the things that the nhl does wrong they don't market their stars and give them enough like if you said Connor mcdavid half the country would be like who uh everybody knows who lebron is Anyways, back to my point. The NBA wants to start their season December 22nd because they want to take advantage of their Christmas games, which are a big deal for them. Uh, the NHL obviously wants to start January 1st because they want to start with some sort of... I mean, the Winter Classic obviously was just pushed back and canceled. Uh, but they want to start with some sort of New Year's Day event because that's always been the NHL's thing since 2008 was the Winter Classic. Um, so I'm really curious as to how they're going to uh, figure this out because... On one end, the NHL and the NBA off, operate very similarly uh, as compared to the AHL and, and the O and the Ontario Hockey League. But on the other hand, the NBA can afford to play without fans. The NHL can't, which is why the O and the A are waiting until February because they're hoping by then they can have some fans. But at the same time, the NHL starting in January and then the AHL starting a month later, what the hell happens to all those guys in limbo for a month? They're just going to sit at home and just like eat chips and watch netflix for 30 days and then they're gonna be like hey just so you know we're starting tomorrow and then connor timmins and martin cow and shane bowers are rushing to get back in shape like it's just it's it's fascinating it's a unique situation it's unlike anything we've ever we've ever seen you also got to look at guys that are playing in the khl right that yeah that can come over and oh, play correct they the khl started months ago so yeah they can ultimately be playing for uh you know 10 10 month season if you do if you go that route Exactly. And it, yeah, that that's a really great point. But I mean, that's that's part of the that's part of what comes with agreeing to, you know, go out on loan is is having that be a be a case. You know, there's a lot of players. The Red Wings are doing this with some of their guys, Joe Valeno and uh, I think Moritz Seider as well. Uh, when they loaned him to Sweden to play in the Swedish Elite League, they said, you're staying there the whole season. Uh, they don't need to rush him back. But, you know, Joe Thornton is playing in Switzerland right now for Davos. He He's coming back. Suddenly, Joe Thornton's going to go from not playing for seven or eight months to playing for nine or ten months, possibly longer, if Toronto makes a run. It's it's an interesting situation, um, but it's kind of hard to like find that line. And I think the NHL, what they're going to end up doing is just being somewhere in the middle. I think they're going to be somewhere in the middle, mid January. Let, let me throw another crazy idea out there, since I already you know ruined the podcast with my Mark Andre Fleury trade. Nothing's <laughs> off limits now. How? financially feasible do you think it would be for the nhl to move to an all outdoor season is that you do you think that's even within the realm of possibility no <laughs> not at all how cool it, would, it would be, be pretty cool but it would be a way to get fans back in the stadiums it'd be a way to you know be a little yeah. bit different and and you know have a safer just season. the cost i know just it's the cost doesn't make just the cost sense, of probably. setting it up and maintaining it uh is is uh and, and what's the guy's name? Dan Craig, the ice guy. Uh, there's only one of him. There isn't 32 of them, 31 of them. Uh, but just, just the just the way, just just what it's going to take, the optics of setting that up is going to cost more than not having fans. It's going to offset the ticket prices. Um, and I know, yeah, the outdoor thing helps because the Broncos, I, I just learned last week that the Broncos have fans at their games. I didn't know that was a thing here. Uh, but they had fans when they got their asses kicked mm -hmm. by the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, is Ball Arena going to have fans for Nuggets and Avalanche games? Is it going to be in January? Is it going to be in February? Who knows? Well, and that's why I say that. That's the difference, right? I mean, they're outdoors. That's why they're allowed to have yeah. fans because, of, of course, the outdoors is a lot safer. So, you know, it, I don't know. Just an idea, of course. So, yeah. So there, there's a lot of things that play into this. It's 
the NBA and the NHL operate the same, but the NHL can't have no fans. And is the NBA going to have fans December 22nd? Probably not if they start that day. So there's the no fans thing. There is starting a month before the AHL and not knowing what to do with those guys in limbo. They're starting with the AHL in February and getting that season pushed way into freaking September and October again. Canada border issues still. The Canada border issues, seven Canadian teams, are they going to have their own division or are they going to have a situation where uh, Canada loosens the strings on the restrictions for the for the NHL teams, uh, which they may or may not do. Who knows? But what they've proven in the past with the family thing we were discussing earlier, that the families weren't allowed in the bubble, is they're not willing to make this many sacrifices and the, you know and, and agree to this many things for with the NHL. You know, at this point, the fact that Canada and their government allowed the NHL to have their bubble there uh, should should be applauded. That was something that that's probably the furthest they're going to go. So uh, if the border is still closed, if there's still a two week quarantine rule, um, I don't know if the Canadian government is going to step away from that. If the NHL were to start, you know, January, February or so. What does that look like for playoffs? Do you think we get summer playoffs again? And then moving even more forward, what does that look like for the following season? The NHL doesn't want to have to push next season uh, away from the traditional starting date of early October. They want to stay as close as possible to that. I think what's going to end up happening is, depending on when the the NHL starts, be it January 1, mid-January, or February 1. Those are the three options I'll, I'll go with. There could be other options, another one being no hockey. <laughs> Who the hell knows? But let's say January 1, mid-January, and, and February 1st. There, if, if you go with, depending on which of those three dates you go with, will determine how many games the NHL plays. So we've seen in the past in 2013, the NHL started, I think that season was January 19, and they played 48 games. But at the same time, they didn't cram it the way that they're probably going to cram it this time. So let's say, for example, the Avalanche fly to Dallas to play the Stars on a Friday. They're probably going to play them Saturday and Sunday back-to-back and then fly back home Monday. And then on Wednesday, they're going to host the Minnesota Wild and play them Wednesday, Thursday, and then go fly to wherever. They're going to cram it a little bit more. So what was a 48-game season that started on January 19 in 2013? If that's the start date for this season, that mid-January, I think it'll be 56 games. I think if it starts January 1st, it'll be 62 games. I think if it starts February 1st, that's when you'll have the 48 games. And I think what the NHL is going to end up doing is finishing their season. If this year was September 28, 29, 30, next season likely will be June 28, 29, 30. It's the best case scenario. Have a 60-game season and then do that. Or maybe early July, July 1 to July 15. Be done the Stanley Cup final by then. Uh, and then start the following season instead of early October, you're looking at more of a mid to late October start, similar to the NBA. And then finishing that season in June as normal instead of June 7, maybe June 17. And then the following season after that, you're back to October 1st. So it's going to be a couple of years. I also see a situation where let's say the NHL starts January 1st, they play 60 games or 56 games. Um, I could see a situation where they do another 2014 playoff for this one year because it's such a shortened season. It's such a cramped season. And who's going to say no to the extra, to the extra revenue of having 24 playoff teams, especially if by the time those playoffs start, let's say late April, early May, you can actually have fans in the stands. Who's going to say no to having 24 teams and the possibility of Buffalo being a market that suddenly is a playoff team, Montreal being a playoff team, kind of like this year. Well, Montreal is good this year, but you know, 
Last year, it dragged Montreal, Chicago, and the Rangers into the playoff picture. If you replicate that to this season, those are three big markets you can have fans. The more shortened seasons we get, the better news that is for Eric Johnson to keep keep keeping those injuries <laughs> to a minimum, right? <laughs> Amen. Um, I wanted to look at the New Jersey wave that's kind of sweeping across the league, yes. right? Let's start with the Dallas Stars jersey that was unveiled today i, I freaking love, love it. it yes we yes. didn't even plan that i'm so happy you didn't say hate it i'm so happy. i don't understand the it's people who are hating it good jersey it is exactly a beautiful it, jersey it's with the theme i mean in the in the last what 10 years you've really seen all sports move to this fluorescent color yes and that's just really the trend i mean you look at teenagers and they're they're wearing those color shoes they're wearing them on the yeah. basketball court you know what i mean the nba players are wearing these highlighter color shoes all the time this is the way that fashion is trending is yep. whether you like it or not it's these fluorescent colors so i love just the black nothing else the simplicity to it and the the bang of the colors right and it's you you immediately think of ben bishop's helmet right yes. it matches that perfectly oh that's gonna look beautiful i forget who tweeted this i wish i could remember so i can shout them out but i saw a tweet that said imagine the dallas stars score and you know they do the thing where they turn off the lights or they just have like little disco lights or whatever and all you see is this fluorescent stuff green lasers it's gonna look so good i really love that jersey i hope seattle does something like that i hope the vancouver canucks all the teams with green basically do something like that it looks phenomenal i love it well, and that's more to the toxicity that surrounds the NHL and, and hockey in general, right? You the get unwillingness these, to change. The unwillingness to change. You get these awesome new jerseys, and you know you see how successful the NBA has been with their multitude of jerseys. They are constantly whipping out new ones. And then the NHL, people still want to stick to the original six sweaters and get offended when you try to change anything you up. Gotta, you so got to stupid. You got to understand, JJ, there was a time where goalies didn't, get to put their own designs on a mask and that was shunned and that was frowned upon there was a time where goalies just bought pads like you and i would just you know pull up to a plate against sports or something and buy it buy a set of pads remember patrick was gray cohos those silver things the 570s yeah those guys you're the goalie nerd not me uh he didn't he didn't get to design those he just bought them like that he got he well he didn't buy them but he had them made like they were made like that and sent to him that was once a weird frowned upon thing Players now, you know, they do all these fancy things with their sticks and the tape. Players now, they do all these fancy things with their shoelaces and, you know, the way they tuck their jersey and things like that. It's 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 the way it's going. It's a progressive move. I think the NHL should, you know, I, I, I applaud them for doing this. this. You know, what they're calling the fourth jersey reverse retro. Let's do something fascinating. It's kind of the way it's been with the All-Star jerseys. They keep trying all these funky things with the All-Star jerseys to see what works. And this is... This is a branch of one of those All-Star jerseys, the one that was, I think, San Jose, not San Jose. San Jose was the recyclable ones. This is the Tampa Bay one. This is this is a, a branch of those jerseys, those weird fluorescent ones. Um, it's great. I love it. People can push back on it all they want. The NHL should keep bringing these things out, uh, keep unveiling more jerseys, keep making these progressive moves, and it's it just it's going to become the way it is. If you if if you're willing to die on the hill of I don't like the jerseys being worn, so I'm not going to watch the sport, so be it. But I I don't see hockey fans doing that. Yeah, I think these new jerseys are not only great for just the hockey culture and getting some modernity, right? Getting a little bit more modern there with them. But let's look at the obvious 
impact that it's going to have, and that's financially, right? You yeah. whip out some brand new cool jerseys across Amen. the league, you're going to get a lot more revenue from them. And in a time like this, you got to find everything you can to generate more revenue, right? So I love the idea. Bring them all out. Um, bring some more out. Why stop at three? Keep five jerseys on hand. Yeah, what, I, I agree. This is going to be a fourth jersey for many teams, a third jersey for the teams that don't have a third jersey. Um, there was an article in Sports Business Daily that the NHL and Adidas are planning for a broader mid-November unveiling of the widely rumored reverse retro style jerseys. That would be awesome. I can't wait for it. The NHL, obviously, Dallas's jersey is one of those. Vegas, there has been those rumors that they're going back to that Vegas team. I think the one that was in the East Coast Hockey League with the two swords. Uh, there's some red in it. That was the rumored one for the Vegas Golden Knights. It was a funky one that came out about the San Jose Sharks, but people said that that was a fake. I the think Avalanche. San Jose came out and said that that was a fake. Exactly, said, nope, yeah. That's yeah, not it. Said, that's you not real. wrong. Uh, the Avalanche, obviously, Nathan McKinnon put a picture up like we were talking about with those new gloves. Um, God, anything less than a Quebec Nordiques, an homage to the Quebec Nordiques would be a failure on the Avalanches. And I'm excited to see how it goes. I'm excited to see teams like Detroit and Chicago that never change their jerseys and never wear anything different have something like that. Toronto, same exact thing. Montreal, those original six teams. It's it's going to be fascinating. Yes. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I hope the Avalanche bring back the Nordique design, the Nordique colors in some way, shape, or form. And then I also hope they come back and that burgundy sweater you're wearing again because I love the color burgundy. They come back and bring that diagonal Colorado jersey because that thing was a beauty. Uh, bring out more jerseys. Let more fans wear different jerseys. Let's expand. Let's be a progressive league, and let's keep bringing out these newer things. Bring them out. Bring them out. I'm with Yeet, you. Bring I, them out. How, how do you do a, a – a retro jersey on a team that's still wearing their retro jerseys. I mean, the Can like you said, all the original the Canadians 16s. and the Red Wings and the Leafs just literally went back to gonna... a logo of like the sixties. Yeah, there's more to the lack of creativity throughout the years. Yeah. Like, let's let's get things moving. Let's progress. Detroit Detroit always goes back to like the 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 Detroit style D, like the the, the old the old. The old font or whatever the hell it is, mm -hmm. the traditional like the D. Tigers kind of, logo yeah, the Tigers of. D. They kind of did that with the Avalanches, the Avalanche Red Wings outdoor game, but they like freaking mm -hmm. Power yeah. Rangers did up or something. It was weird. Fancy. Yeah. They fancy. They really top hatted that one up. Last yeah. thing I wanted to get into before we head out of here for this episode is the Mitch Miller Coyotes pick. Obviously, that was a bit controversial. Um, a lot of stuff going on back and forth, a lot of fingers being pointed directly at the Arizona Coyotes. I have an opinion on this too, and I know I just kind of went off the rails with the Justin Turner one, um, but I I understand when when people say he was young, give him a second chance, he'll learn from it. But that only goes so far. When I go back and look at some of the goofy things that I used to say when I was fourteen on Facebook, I cringe at it. But there's also this the the fact you know I have I have a 13 year old niece I have an 11 year old nephew I have a 16 year old cousin and I hang out with all of these people often and I can't see a situation where a 14 year old boy does something as 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 terrible and horrifying as bullying a black disabled child at school and causing him and and, and forcing him to lick a lollipop that he rubbed on the inside of a urinal. That to me is not, oh, he's just a child and did something immature. Boys that will is, be boys. That's not a boys will be boys thing. That yeah. is a terrible, terrible thing that a 14-year-old should never do. 
and should pay the consequences for. And I, I know they said he was, you know, he was convicted or, you know, he was he was in one way, shape or form punished, but also according to the statement that came out per the family of the boy that was bullied, he's never apologized for it. There has to be a line drawn where you say you cannot look, he deserves a second chance. I'm not saying take his life away and ruin him forever and never hire him. And this should always be a X on a check mark on his resume of something he did. But at the same time, playing in the NHL is a privilege. We saw what just happened to Brendan Leipzig six months ago. When that Brendan Leipzig story came out, the NHL said, you're done. And if the NHL can't say that, or the Arizona Coyotes can't realize why this is a bad move, why this is a terrible, it's not, I'm not even going to say it's bad for PR. It's just a bad move. This is not someone, and I'm not going to sit here and judge Mitchell Miller. I, I don't know him. I'm not going to pretend I know him. I don't care what he does with his future, but playing in the NHL is a privilege and doing that at 14 years old, that should be enough to say you do not get to be an NHL player. And the fact that 10 teams had him, there was a report, I saw a tweet that 10 teams had him on a do not draft list and all the other teams just skipped over him for the Coyotes to still draft him says a lot about an organization that just hired a Hispanic person to be one of their presidents and made a big deal over being all-inclusive, this is not an all-inclusive move. And I don't know what the hell it is about the NHL because we saw it with the Buffalo Sabres this past year. We saw it with the Ottawa Senators with the whole Matt Duchesne and then the taxi cab thing and all the things. It just seems like any team in the NHL, once one thing goes wrong, 25 things go wrong and it's one after the other. And we saw it with the Avalanche. They had the 2017 season, the embarrassing Matt Duchesne thing, the embarrassing Will Butcher thing. And, and obviously I'm not comparing those things to what this is, but it just seems like when something goes off the rails, an organization has to make 15 more bad decisions before realizing what they're doing. And this is a big one for the Coyotes who were unable to pay their players at an appropriate time throughout, throughout the summer, had their star goalie and Darcy Kemper and their captain and Oliver Ekman Larson all over these trade rumors and then didn't end up trading them, had the whole thing going on with uh, John Chayka and what happened there, and then making Steve Sullivan the interim GM, and then giving the interim GM the ability to trade or negotiate with Taylor Hall, and then still bringing in a new general manager, not even making Steve Sullivan, who you said you can go ahead and negotiate with Taylor Hall, not even making him the GM. So it's just one thing after the other. It was really fascinating, but this is just a bad move. Right. I mean, you look at the actual incident itself and just bullying in general, and that's a case of elitism, right? This guy just simply thinks he's better than the person he's bullying and um, thinks that this person doesn't deserve the same quality of life as him. And I hope for Mitch Miller's sake that he's completely 180 because you give a guy with that kind of mentality millions of dollars and put him in the NHL – it's only going to mm -hmm. get worse, and it's only going to be, uh, you know, at an adult level rather than, you know, a childish move like licking a lollipop from a urinal. It's going to be something, something a lot more. It, it, I, I just, I don't see a situation where he's going to have a successful NHL career because I think enough people. This is when Twitter and and the, you know, the pitchforks come out where it's going to be enough to, basically, like, everything everything goes away if you give it time. 
this is big enough, especially in the year of George Floyd and, and the social justice movement and everything that's going on and the Hockey Diversity Alliance and, and Black Lives Matter and what the NBA has done, what NASCAR has done, all of these big and the election and everything that's going on. I don't think this is one of those things that's going to go away over time. I think this would have been this is the equivalent to me of what seems like forever ago last year. I think it was in November when the Bill Peters story came out with Akima Lou and he was uh, he resigned. And I do that, you know, with air quotation marks. He resigned from his position because Calgary suspended him. They didn't they didn't fire him. The NHL investigation of Bill Peters is still ongoing. That should tell you where the NHL's priorities are with it. Um, he didn't. He didn't get fired. He resigned. If if two or three or four years go, uh, you know, not even two or three or four. If if an extended period of time goes, and Bill Peters comes out and you know has you know one of those sit downs with the media, someone at the Athletic or TSN or Sportsnet or someone or Greg Wyshynski at ESPN and says, you know, I've changed. I've learned from that. It's time for me to come back in. I can see people accepting him, but this to me is the equivalent of. Calgary fired him in November. Imagine Washington in January, two months later. And I use them as an example because they fired their coach over the summer. Imagine Washington two months later fired Todd Reardon and tried to hire Bill Peters. The pitchforks would have came out. Twitter would have exploded. Media would have exploded. It would not have been a good situation. And that's, to me, what this situation is. You did not need to do it. And I just don't see it going away. I can't see this kid having a successful NHL career. And I'm sorry that's what's going to happen. But you made that decision. And, and it's, a, it's a consequence you should pay for. Um, you can be a successful human. You can do a lot of things in the world. You can make a lot of money and have a great life. But the privilege of playing in the NHL should not be given to someone that has done something like that as a 14-year-old, which is way more than, than enough time for someone to develop and mature into realizing that that is not something you do. And now we understand the hockey diversity's urgency to change hockey culture, right? Yep. It's it stems a lot deeper than just simply yeah. what goes on on the ice. And uh, they 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 did release a statement about that. You can look it up on Twitter at Hockey Diversity Alliance to see where they stand on the matter. But that's where I stand on the matter. I've been going on a lot of rants today, um, but it's the off season. This is what you do. Very yeah, you're very long winded today. A lot of blabbering. We've been recording for a good hour, and I think I've talked for fifty-eight minutes of it. <laughs> I think so. You're just sitting over there, hey, chilling. Uh, I'm fine. Fill it. Fill those. Fill those times. Fill the time. See. See what happens when I talk. See, this is why you don't this talk. Yeah. <laughs> that brings us to the Mile High Sports Three Stars of the Week, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Star number three, Justin Turner, Ryan Sorry. Clark. My guy. We kissed his ass enough on the podcast, but, man, we My can't man. emphasize enough how much he's going to be missed. I mean, in his short time, he really made a big impact on all of us and, and was just really one of the more likable people. I'm not going to miss how he kind of hijacks all the press conferences. He's always the first to ask the question, <laughs> and he always gets four or five in. But um, He's just so well-spoken. It's fun to listen <laughs> to him talk. Um, yeah, I mean, it's better than when before he arrived and— People would look around the press box, all right, who goes first? You go, you first, you first, me first. And, then, you know, yeah. usually it would rotate. But, yeah, we're going to miss him. He's always always got something friendly to say. And, man, he really hated talking about himself, didn't he? <laughs> he did, but he still did a damn good job at it. He still came out of that podcast as the person that he is, which is a very great, friendly guy. And speaking of being progressive, he broke down barriers, not just in the in, with his race, but the way, like you said, he came into this press box, he came into this market and sort of unapologetically was who he is and did things differently and sort of shifted the mindset of everybody who's been here for years. And I love that. My favorite highlight was, I, I forget what you were saying, 
um, you know, just kind of kissing his ass a little bit more there at the early parts of the podcast. And he goes, you know, I really appreciate it. It doesn't mean too much. <laughs> just basically s- just swatted you into the fourth row. Um, but that's who he is. You know what I mean? He just, he yeah. just, uh, he, he'll tell it like it is, but oftentimes it's in a very nice way. Brings me to star number two. I don't think we've given this guy enough credit lately. I mean, we haven't in our conversations, but we haven't in the three stars, which I think is really more important than, than the meat of the podcast. And that's Joe Sackick. He's got to get some credit. Mm-hmm. We haven't given him a star yes. this whole off season. He had another great off season. I want to ask you though, Arif, what's his next move? I didn't get into this in the in the meat of the podcast, and I know the Avalanche don't have much cap space, but I think the Avalanche still need to sign Guy. Guy being just just a guy. Uh, right now, they have Logan O'Connor and Martin Cow are your thirteenth and fourteenth options. Um, but I'd love for them to go out and bring somebody in, like a Matt Nieto who signed for seven hundred k, and all the players that are signing for seven hundred k. Lucas Walmark is still out there. Eric Howla is still out there. Matt Martin is still just sign guy for seven hundred million for seven hundred thousand seven hundred million. Jesus, seven hundred thousand dollars just to have another option, so that when injuries arise, when you have three, four, five injuries at once, you're not searching for Tynan or Bowers or someone that's not ready or not qualified enough to be in the NHL or Vecchione, or the guys that they signed on, on uh, October 9th, have another guy. And I just want him to go out and sign guy. But other than that, there really isn't much else to do. They don't have the cap space for it unless you make a trade, which nobody on this team is worthy of, you know, is, is in trade discussions right now. Ilya Kovalchuk's still available. That's a guy. That's the kind of guy. See, this is this is what brings me, and this is we'll have a longer conversation about this on another pod because offseason and we need things to talk about, but... The trade deadline is kind of going to be boring this year. And the reason why that is is because instead of going out and trading a fourth-round draft pick for Vladislav Nemesnikov, all you have to do is, if you're Sackick, is go look at the free agents and say, oh, we'll just sign Eric Halla for free. We'll just sign Ilya Kovalchuk for free. Let's say, God forbid, Valery Nichushkin uh, gets injured game number 15 of the regular season and he's out for the season. You don't got to call up from someone from the minors. You just call up Ilya Kovalchuk or you call up Matt Martin or you call up Eric Howler or you call up Lucas Walmark and, hey, you want to play for the rest of the season in this position that's suddenly you know open because Natrushkin's injured? Sure. Okay, yeah, 700K. Welcome to the team. I love the idea of Matt Martin too. You know I love the Me big too. bodies. I love that guy. Big bruising bodies. Star number one, got to end it on a somber note, and that's coming out of Edmonton, and that's oh, yes. Joey Moss. Right, I mean, he's a big part of yeah. their organization. Seemed like he was an equipment manager, but more so, he was just a locker room guy. W- w- whether he was on the team or not, he was a, a valuable piece to their locker room. And I loved seeing that picture of him with Gretzky, and they're both holding the cup. Right, yeah. that's how long he's been a part of the Edmonton Oilers. And um, you know, I didn't know him personally, but when you see the kind of impact that a guy behind the scenes makes like that and and where a lot of people have come out there was even a players tribune article written about yep. joey moss Sam Gagne. Sam yeah Gagne so wrote about it patrick maroon came out so many people that were in that organization came out and talked about him i love the picture that connor Mc, connor mcdavid tweeted out and said here's a picture it was him gretzky and moss and he said here's a picture of me with the great one dot 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 and gretzky too I loved that. And there was a video. I tweeted it out on my profile. I retweeted it. Well, I quote tweeted it, and I added a little comment on it from the 2006 Stanley Cup final. There's a video of Ryan Smith standing there, bearded, long, beautiful hair. I love Ryan Smith. I miss him. 
uh, and Joey Moss standing in the first row of the crowd behind him at Rexall Place in Edmonton, which, by the way, is still one of the loudest arenas I've ever been to and I've ever seen, is Rexall Place. Um, and Joey Moss is standing behind him, and the national anthem is, you know, playing because it's before the game, and they're playing the Canadian national an- the Canadian national anthem. And Joey Moss is standing behind Ryan Smith in the first row, right behind the bench, and he is belting animated singing along and god keep our land and he's he's just lost in the moment and it was great it's a fascinating beautiful sight look it up on youtube joey moss national anthem uh it's awesome yeah absolutely 2020 is taking a lot of our best ones right yeah so yeah it's it's a it is a somber note i appreciate you bringing it up because i i wanted to bring it up a few times this week and i completely forgot about it today so I'm, i'm glad you remembered Absolutely. So, yeah, on that note, I don't really have much else to get through. We've gone on a, a much longer podcast than we anticipated, which I love. That just means we got yep. good things to talk about. We got good conversation going. So let us know what you think about the podcast. If not, Arif, anything else you want to get off your chest before we wrap up for the day? That's basically it. Just keep on listening. We're going to have some guests on throughout the summer. I know summer jesus throughout the off season i know we've 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 already promised that we'll have tony ferrari on again to talk avalanche prospects and the development of where they're at uh there's some bigger names we're working on getting on the podcast stick around keep on supporting us tell your friends subscribe listen comment leave 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 reviews message us on twitter if you have anything we'd love to get you guys involved so if you'd like to be someone that wants to see maybe a question and answer session, wants to be a part of the podcast in any way, shape, or form, let us know. Uh, just just stick with us throughout this offseason. We don't know how long it's going to be, but if we get through this offseason together, next season we'll kick ass together. So that's all I got to say. Absolutely. Don't forget to check out the Hockey Show, live radio show with myself, Ryan Bolding, every Saturday on milehighsports.com, or you can catch it podcast form on any podcast provider. It's, it's entertaining. It's different. I love it. It's it's. I like having this podcast and that show because they're two completely different yeah. shows and, and they uh, you know have a different feel to them both. Yeah, and uh, just just one last thing for me. Every Monday, every Tuesday morning, uh, look out for a story on the Avalanche. I will be writing. I will be sticking to at least one per week. But every Tuesday morning, I will have a feature piece published on the website. This week, Kale McCarr and, and the... This is something that I got after the conversation we had with Clark about Kilmacar's contract, but it's what's the impact of the flat cap and COVID going to have on Kilmacar's extension. It's on MileHighSports.com. Check it out. Um, I'll be writing those every single week, and if it's you know an interesting enough topic, we'll talk about it on the pod. Thanks for hanging out with us on this episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Leave us a review. Hit us up on Twitter. God bless your heart if you made it this far into the podcast. Other than that, hockey's for everyone. We got you. Yeah.